Well, if you have a Bible with you this evening, please turn back to that passage we read from, from Jeremiah chapter 5. And I want to turn your attention, particularly this evening, to the last two verses of Jeremiah chapter 5, where we read, A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? Well, our subject this evening is a summary of a sinful nation, a summary of a sinful nation. And I want to speak particularly this evening to those of you who are not Christians, those of you who are outside of Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you this evening from these verses here that we have in front of us. And before we dive into the passage, it's worth just noting the context of Jeremiah chapter 5. I'm sure you're well aware that Jeremiah was a prophet in the days uh, before the Babylonians came to take uh, captive the southern part of Israel, the tribes of Judah, the parts of the southern kingdom. And before this point, the northern kingdom had already been taken into exile. And Jeremiah was a prophet sent by God to warn the people. He was really the final warning to the people that if they did not return, if they did not repent, if they did not seek God, then they were going to face judgment from God and be taken into captivity too. And uh, you notice if you just go back with me to Jeremiah chapter 3, for example, Jeremiah chapter 3 and verses 6 and 7 The Lord says here through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, uh, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? And he describes their sin. She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I said, After she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she returned not. He says, Look, that the northern kingdom Israel went into idolatry and played the harlot, went a whoring after other gods. And I said, repent. I said, turn. But they didn't turn. And he says, so they visited them. But you notice what it says there in verse 7. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot whore. So he says, look, Judah, you didn't learn the lesson of Israel. Israel rebelled against me and they went into idolatry. And I plead with them and I came with prophets and said to them, you need to return. But he says the treacherous sister of Judah, she didn't fear. She didn't see the judgment and take warning, but she went and played the harlot too. And chapter 4 of Jeremiah is, is a pleading by Jeremiah. It's a pleading of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah to return, repent of their sin, to come. You read the passage, it's all about uh, the Lord seeking hearts, religion from the people. We notice there, particularly in verse 14, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness, that thou mayest be saved. The Lord is saying, I don't want the outward rituals and the ceremonies i don't want you just to merely carry on sacrificing i want you to wash your hearts i want a heart religion 
And this is what uh, Jeremiah chapter 4 is all about. Return, return. Jeremiah pleads with the people, come to, back to the Lord's. But when we come to Jeremiah chapter 5, the passage that we read this evening, we get a list of all the sins, the reasons why God is going to come in judgment upon the nation. And you just go through the whole chapter, verse 1, we have injustice. There's no one who seeks judgment, no one who seeks truth. What a terrible verse that is. If you can find a man, one man, if there's one man in the whole of Jerusalem, the Lord says there's not a a single one. You come into verse 2, there's hypocrisy. In verse 3, they refuse the correction of God's idolatry, spiritual adultery. We read there later on in the passage, verse 7 and 8, they defied God's. You can go through the whole passage and see the sins. There was deceit, there was violence, there was oppression. Verses 27, 28 particularly, there's a wonderful picture in verse 27 of a cage full of birds fluttering backwards and forwards. And here are the people, of, here the, the people are described as being like this is deceit in the heart of these people. As soon as you open the cage door, the birds are going to fly out and deceit was in their heart just waiting to come out at every opportunity. They did not plead the cause of the fatherless or the needy. This is the state of the nation. And when we come to verses 30 and 31, we really have a summary of the whole chapter. And the Lord says, a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the lands. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the ends thereof. And so this evening, as we look at these two verses, I want us to see three uh, very simple things. And the first thing is this. I want you to notice the shocking facts that God presents for us here. The shocking facts. And there's three of them in verse 31. The prophets prophesy falsely. There's the first one. The second one is that the priests bear rule by their means. And the third, which is perhaps the most shocking of all of them, are my people. He says, love to have it so. The prophets prophesy falsely. The very people who were given the job of instructing the people, who were given the job of taking the law of God and explaining it and commanding and instructing the people from the law of God. He says they prophesy falsely. They're telling lies. They're telling things that are not true. You can actually uh, go through the book of Jeremiah and we have reference to the prophets regularly, time after time. We read that they are people who were full of deceit, people who were full of wind, we read in the very passage uh, this evening. The prophets in verse 13 shall become wind. There's nothing to the winds, just air. We talk about our politicians being full of hot air. Well, the prophets in, in in Jeremiah's day were just winds. They were not bringing the message of God's, and they were prophesying falsely. You go into chapter 6, and you can see the message that the prophets brought. Turn with me to chapter 6 and verse 14, and we'll go back to verse 13. In chapter 6 and verse 13, it says, For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Everyone's dealing falsely. There's deceit. There's falsehood. There's lies. And this is what they are saying. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, 
when there is no peace. They come with this message. Jeremiah is telling us there's judgment coming. Oh, but don't listen to Jeremiah. He says, this, he says that the, the Babylonians are going to come and destroy this nation. But the false prophets came along and said, oh, don't listen to Jeremiah. Peace. You carry on just as you are. You carry on living the way you want to live. You carry on the life that you want to live. And don't worry, peace. But it was a false message. You know, if this was today, we'd call it fake news. Wouldn't we? This is fake news. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. You can imagine them saying, can't you? You can imagine somebody coming with an anxious mind. But I've heard the message that Jeremiah is bringing. I've heard about the Babylonians and what they've done. And I've heard about their, how terrible they, 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 they've gone into different lands and destroyed and pillaged and completely and utterly annihilated nations. And I've heard they're coming. Oh, and you can imagine that, you know, the, one of these prophets putting his arms around you. Oh, don't worry about that. Oh, don't you trouble your mind. But this is Jerusalem. Jerusalem, God's city with the temple. Even the very name Jerusalem has the word peace in it. This is a city of peace. Oh, don't you listen to Jeremiah? And do you not think that today we have false prophets up and down our lands? People who are on our televisions, people who influence the world, people who are saying to us, peace. Oh, don't you a soul? You don't worry about that. Don't think about your soul. Don't think about life after death. Don't think about eternity. These things don't exist. Oh no, live for now. Live for the here and now. Carry on as you are. Oh, don't worry about life after death. And they prophesy to us lies. And there's so many of them, so many influences on social media, so many people on our television, and they're just perpetually telling us lie after lie, and the people are imbibing it and love it. You think about David Attenborough, how often is he on our screens today, and he's telling us that the world, was it created by God? No, 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 none of it. Oh, it's been formed by a big bang and we leave. it's been a process of time over millions of years. And therefore you don't need to worry about death. What happens after death? Because there's no such thing as eternity. You have no such thing as a soul. You're just another mammal living on this planet. And you see the lies that people tell us. Peace, they say. Oh, judgment? No, don't worry about that. Maybe there's someone here this evening and you've been influenced by these false prophets today and you're listening to their message and you're imbibing what they're saying and you think to yourself, all is well with my soul. You're hearing the message of peace, but there is no peace. It's a falsehood. You know, one of the greatest lies that's being given at the moment is this belief in what we call justification by death. This is, this is what's being told to us all the time. The moment you die, you're justified, basically. God accepts you. God loves you. He's a God of love. Couldn't believe it when I was, when, that, when uh, I forget his name, as it, Ronnie Biggs, the great train robber, died recently, a few years back. And he was on the news. And here was a man who had committed a great crime 
and he had evaded capture for so long and he had lived a life of away in a foreign land, living off the money that he had stolen. And yet the news reports him as the most wonderful man that ever lived. His, his crime was almost rubbed under, you know, pushed under the carpet, rubbed out. Nobody seemed to, to, to remember that this man had done a, a terrible thing. Justification by death. This man was now accepted. This man was in heaven. This is what the world tells us today. Oh, don't you worry about when you die. Because God will just accept you. If there is a God. Peace, peace, they say to us. Let me say to you, friends, this evening, there is no peace. Though you have a soul, there's life after death. There's a heaven. There's also a hell. There's a judgment to come. Don't listen to the things that this world tells you. And you see here in this verse, we read that there was the prophets who prophesied falsely, who told these things that were not true. But we also read that the priests, they bear rule by their means. There were those who were living off this. There were those who were profiting from the false message that the, that the, the prophets were giving. The prophets were saying, don't you worry about judgment. There's no judgment to come. And the priests were profiting. And we see that in our land today, don't we? So many people profiting from falsehood. So many people profiting from the lies that are being told. False teachers being indulged and exploiting the people. How many people, how many so-called religions and churches in inverted commas are exploiting people? Saying to people, if you, well, you can get to heaven if you do this and that, and you follow these particular rules and you give so much money. They're exploiting the people and living off it. But they're in error. But then we come to the third thing here, and this is perhaps the saddest of all. It says, and my people love to have it so. The people of Jeremiah's day embraced the false teaching. It, it brought to them a level of comfort. It eased their consciences. And you notice that... Uh, in that passage that we read in, verse, in chapter 6 there, that it's healed the hurt of my daughter, of the daughter of my people slightly. The people loved it. They loved the message. And do we not see this today in our lands? As people don't want to think about eternal things, they want to live for the here and now, they love it. They enjoy their sin. You talk to the man on the street, he, oh, you don't, he wants to carry on in the way he is. You see, if there's no judgment to come, I can live as I please. Moral freedom. Do what I like. I can think how I like. I can do what I like. I can say what I like. They've got no... Uh, it brings, as it were, a bit like a narcotic drug. It brings a level of euphoria, doesn't it? And brings a level of happiness and delight. But there's serious consequences that follow. You see the picture in chapter 6 there of the... In verse 14 of this message of peace, peace, healing the hurts of the daughter of my people slightly as a picture, as it were, of a, a wound not being properly treated and cared for and washed and cleansed. Just a bandage thrown on it, perhaps. Oh, yes, it perhaps brings a bit of relief for a moment. But what will it result in? It result in a, a, an in great infection and great uh, distress in the body. The wound will become far worse, won't it? And this is what we see in, in our land. People choosing to believe the lie and rejoicing in it, loving in it. 
We read Romans chapter 1. We read about people changing the truth of God into a lie and, and God giving them over. And this is what we see in our land today. And perhaps there's someone here. You rejoice in your sin. You love it. You want to carry on in it. I don't want a God who's going to tell me what to do. I don't want someone to come into my life and tell me that I've now got to give up that sin, that pleasure. Maybe you live a morally upright life before everyone here this evening. But in your heart, you're, you're hanging on to some sin, something that you love, something that you do behind closed doors, something that not even your wife or your husband knows about. You hide it from people, but you love it. Perhaps it's something online. Perhaps it's something on television. Some indulgence that you, you, you crave after and you love. And you see, the people in Jeremiah's day, they rejoiced in the message that the prophets were giving them. It eased their consciences. It, it gave them a level of happiness. They thought, they thought falsely that they could get away with the way they were living, carrying on in their idolatry, carrying on half-serving God, but serving the gods around them as well. And we see that the people loved it. And so spiritually true of people today. And I ask you this evening, perhaps you're somebody here, and maybe that's spiritually true of you. You love your sin. Rejoice in your sin. And you're listening to the message of this world, and you're embracing it, and you love it. Do what you like. No one can judge me. You've got no fear of God, no fear of judgments. Not worried about your guilt, your shame. You've got liberty in your language, liberty in all that you want to do. You can be as proud as you like, as arrogant as you like, as conceited as you like even. Enjoy all sorts of unlawful experiences. Whatever they may be, sexual, whatever it might be, you can free to do whatever you like and you love it. But what you're really doing is shaking the fist at God. You know, John... This gospel tells us, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Maybe that describes you, you love darkness rather than light. Well, that's the first thing we see in this text here. This evening, the shocking fact in verse 31, but notice the sovereign declaration in verse 30 before it, because we have a great contrast here. We have the prophets prophesying falsely. We have these priests who are profiting from this and and the people loving their sin, carrying on in their sin. But what does God say in verse 30? He says, a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. He describes it as being a most deplorable thing. It's something to be amazed at. The word wonderful there, I'm not sure what your, perhaps your translation you've got in front of you says, but it means something that brings wonder, not in the sense of uh, delight and enjoyment, but something that makes you cringe, makes you stop in shock and awe at how terrible it is. In the margin of uh, the authorised version, the, the translators put, it's astonishment and filthiness. You see, the people love it, 
and revel in it and rejoice in it and talk about how good it is and how wonderful it is. But God comes along and he says, this is a horrible thing. This is a terrible thing. Something that brings astonishment. The language here intimates that this sin was so great and so monstrous that it could not even be expressed in words. And you see the difference here between how God views sin and how man views sin. And you may have sins in your life and you may think they're just small. You may think they're just the small little things that you do. And yes, they're just perhaps character traits, things and flaws in your in your in your character, as it were. But God says, look, this is a deplorable thing. This is an astonishment. Your sin is an offense to God. And it's our sin that separates us from God. God is holy and he's just and he's pure. Remember what he says in in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13. It says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on sin, on iniquity. God, he, he cannot even look upon sin and certainly nothing sinful can ever come into God's presence and live no one who's a sinner can ever come into heaven itself unless they're cleansed of their sin and washed clean the psalmist wrote if thou Lord shouldst mark iniquities O Lord who shall stand what a divide there is here Man loving his sin, rejoicing in it. But God in his holiness looking down. This is an astonishment. This is deplorable. This is something that is, that is so detestable. Oh, friends tonight, don't be fooled into thinking that your sins are just small and petty. And that somehow you can cleanse yourself and somehow you can deal with your sin yourself. This is something so amazing, so deplorable, so disgusting and filthy. The wonderful thing is that God's word tells us there's only one place you can go to. And that's to Christ himself. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The only place you can go is to Calvary. And where Christ shed his precious blood. What do we read if we confess our sins that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? And so, friends, this evening, if you're still in your sin and you're still outside of Jesus Christ, Christ is your only hope. God looks at your sin and it's detestable. But you can come to Christ who bore the sins of his people at Calvary. Let me ask you this evening, have you done that? Have you come and you found that Christ is your all in all? That he's the one who's borne your sin in his own body upon the tree? You know, there's a wonderful part in this verse here in chapter 5, verse 1, that we read that there was not a man in all of Jerusalem who who executed judgment that seeketh the truth. In the days of Jeremiah, there was not one man in Jerusalem. But the glorious thing is that there was a day coming when there would be a man, one man, The man, the God-man, the one who had come to redeem souls from their sin. And he would come to Jerusalem and he'd be cast out. He was the prophet, wasn't he? He was the great priest, our great high priest. And he came and he was rejected of men. 
He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he was taken outside the walls of Jerusalem and he was crucified for needy sinners like you and I this evening. And so even though our sin which separates us from God, there can be a wonderful reconciliation when you come and you trust in Jesus Christ. You can have peace with God. Not the false peace of this world, but true peace, peace of conscience. Well, as Romans 5 tells us, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this sovereign declaration about sin, its wickedness, its filth, but there is a, there's a place you can come and find reconciliation in Christ. So we've seen the shocking facts and we've seen this sovereign declaration, but notice as we come to the end of verse 31, notice a searching question. Because here were these people in their sin, rejecting God, pursuing after idolatry, listening to the false message of the false prophets. But God says this at the very end, but what will you do in the end thereof? What a solemn and searching question that is. He says that you're carrying on in your sin and rejoicing in your sin, but what's the ultimate outcome of all of that you've done? Well, for the people in Jeremiah's day, it was judgment through the Babylonians who were coming. And we read that in, in verse 6 there of, of chapter 5. Uh, Babylon, uh, the Babylonian uh, reign was described here as these three animals. It says, Wherefore a lion out of the forest shall slay them. And a wolf of the evening shall spoil them. A leopard shall watch over their cities. They'll be torn in pieces. The Babylonians are coming. There's nothing you can do about it. Judgment is on the horizon. That's the end for you. And if we're to apply this spiritually to ourselves, what's the end of our sin and our lives of rejecting God? Well, one day we're going to have to stand before God, the almighty God, the holy God. And give an account of our lives. And what will your end be then, sinner? There's judgment coming for all of us. What does the Bible tell us? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's not just a spiritual death. But it's an eternal death. A death that goes on and on for all eternity. You know, and the people were surprised in Jeremiah's day when Babylon finally came. I wonder if you'll be surprised on that great day when you stand before God. You know, the Bible tells us that there will be people who come and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this and that in thy name? And God says, I, I, don't, I, know, I don't know who you are. And I wonder whether there'll be someone there on that great day, and I trust it won't be the case, but there'll be someone who says, but I went to Zion Evangelical Church. I was there every Sunday. I listened to the words. I read my Bible. And then God says, but I never knew you. Judgment was coming. In chapter 4, constantly, this chapter 4 before, there is this pleading with the people, wash thine heart, come to me. Will you not be saved? That's the message of, of all the, the Bible all the way through. God pleading with sinful men and women, come. 
His arms are open to receive needy, lost, desperate sinners caught up in their sin. And it's the message for us this evening. Come. Christ says, come. I'll receive you and wash you and cleanse you of your sin. I wonder if you're ready for the end. Do you know, I was reminded of this recently. I was on a train uh, going from King's Cross up to Northallerton. And I was sat on the train and there was a gentleman sat opposite me, a businessman. And he had his laptop out and he was there working away on his laptop for a time. And then he got out his phone and he got out his newspaper. And then after about maybe an hour or an hour and a half into the journey, he put the newspaper down and he fell asleep. And we were carrying on the train journey. And you know how it is that every time you come into a station, maybe a few minutes before, there's the warning of the the man on the tannoy comes over and says, our next stop is such and such. And there's the the things at the end of the carriage, isn't there, that tell you the next stop is such and such. And this train will be stopping at this station and this station. We pulled into one particular station and the man was fast asleep. Some of you perhaps can see where this story is going. But the man was fast asleep, and there he was. And we were at this particular station for quite a few minutes. And then just before the door shut, you know, you get that beeping sound to warn you the doors are shutting. Well, with the noise of the beeping sound, this man woke up. And he looked out of the window. And I've never seen a man move so fast in all my life. He tried to grab his laptop and his phone and his paper and his coat. And he had a bag on the rack overhead. And he tried to get all of these things, but by the time he had got maybe two steps down the train, the train was already doing that first lurch out of the station. And the man slumped down in the seat back in front of me, and he thumped the chair. I was so frustrated. And I thought to myself, how sad. They would have been warning after warning. The next stop is such and such. He had ample time to get ready to get off the train. He'd be not ready for the end of his journey. And you know, friends, life is a little bit like a journey, isn't it? There's numerous stops and stages in our life, but there comes a point when we all have to leave this world and enter that world which is to come. Let me ask you, are you ready for the end of your journey? Are you ready for that moment when you will have to depart this world? That man wasn't ready, and yet he had warning after warning, and perhaps you've been sat in this church years after years, and you've heard warning after warning about your sin. And you've heard about the wonders of Christ, how he died at Calvary, and shed his precious blood for you, and yet you refuse to come. You know, that man, after a few minutes of thumping the chair and clearly being very cross, he turned to me and said, was that York? And I was able, thankfully, to say, no, that wasn't York. York's the next stop. (laughs) Well, the man, you know what he did then? He got his laptop and he put his laptop in his bag. He got his coat on. He had his newspaper there ready. And he was sat on the edge of his seat ready to get off. And you know, friends, you need to be ready. You need to be ready for that day when you leave this world. And the only way you can be ready is by coming and trusting in Jesus Christ. What will the end be for you. Well, I trust it will be one where you're received into glory to be with Christ for all eternity.